0: one-word prayers, which, by the way, I'm going to guess that all of us have done. There have been moments in life where where what you're thinking and what you're wanting to communicate with God uh, isn't maybe even a fully formed idea. There may not be a whole lot of theology around it. You may not even be real sure what you want God to do. But, but there's this prayer. And maybe for you, uh, in a, a circumstance or situation, it's just been... You know the word help. Maybe you found yourself in a situation and basically, I mean, you don't even know what to do, and you just God help. You know, or maybe maybe it's been please, or you're praying for someone else, praying something for yourself or someone else. Maybe it's why, why, why is this happening? Not even necessarily why is this happening to me. Just why you look at what's going on in the world right now and you go why, why is this? Ha-? Or sorry, today we're going to work. Look at the word thanks, which by the way. Maybe the easiest uh, and most spoken of the one-word prayers rolls off our tongue. It's what we say to people, right, who holds the door for us. And we, we don't even look up from our phone. We just walk through the door, they're holding the door, we say thanks. We don't even look at them. Uh, it could be uh, what we say to the grocery clerk absentmindedly after we, you know, pay more for our groceries than what we had intended to pay, or it's what we say to the FedEx delivery guy. It's what we say to the police officer through the window after he gives us our ticket or so I've heard, but I—it's my, un, you know—which I, I just think is the honest thing. By the way, thank you. Uh, but do you remember, if you have children, and uh, if they when they were the little, do you remember they would receive a gift? And as a parent, you would say to them, right? You would say, "What do you say?" And what are you trying to build into them? Right? We're trying to build into this attitude, this this uh, gratitude. We want to mold gratitude into their lives. And I just want to say that we need to be careful with that. Because giving thanks to God needs to be more than this obligatory prayer. Um, Thanking God may be as simple as just this quick thanks, but it has the potential to be a whole lot more than that. Anne Lamott uh, says it this way. She said, gratitude begins in our hearts and then dovetails into behavior. It almost always makes you willing to be of service, which is where the joy resides. It means that you're willing to stop being a jerk. And when you are aware of all that has been given to you in your lifetime in the past few days, it's hard not to be humbled and pleased to give back. It's interesting, our thanks can be as simple as one word, or it can just be this extravagant act because of how thankful we are, which is what happens in our uh, story this morning. So uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 7, uh, beginning in verse 36. The verses will be on the screen. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at a table. Now, uh, what we're not told that first century readers would have known was that when a a guest enters your house, especially an esteemed guest, three things were supposed to happen. They were supposed to be automatic, common courtesy. And the first was that uh, the host would put their hand on the guest's shoulder and give them the kiss of peace. And it would be uh, a mark of respect that you would never, never omit in the case of a distinguished rabbi. Uh, in that day, the, the roads were basically just dusty trails, and they were, the shoes they were wearing were basically straps of leather on the bottom of their feet, and so their feet would get very dusty, and, and so cool water would be poured over a guest's feet, to, in part to cleanse them, but in, in part just to comfort them as well. And the third was either a a pinch of sweet-smelling incense was burned, or maybe a drop of the adder of roses would be placed on the guest's head. Good manners dictated, demanded that this would always happen. And and just so you can kind of picture the rest of this event as it begins to unfold, typically a meal of this kind would have been held in a courtyard, uh, where a rabbi, after dinner, would probably do some teaching. And because it was being held there, people from the community, if they, they're not invited people, just people in the community heard what was going on, they could come and watch this meal happen uh, and could then listen also to the teaching of this rabbi, which is kind of wild. Can you imagine just people coming into your house and watching you eat dinner with you know someone else? Uh, but it also tells us how an un- uninvited guest is about to crash this party. So verse 37, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with the others who had gathered to hear this rabbi, but she came with an alabaster jar of perfume. Luke says she lived a sinful life in that town, and she knew it, and everybody else knew it, and her life was a wreck. And it was time to change. Verse 38, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair, kissing them, and poured perfume on them. It's interesting, the Gospels don't all have all of the same stories, but there are some stories that are in all four. This is one of those stories. It shows up in all of the Gospels. In the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, she's not given a name or any kind of identifying detail other than she had this alabaster jar of perfume with her. In Luke, we're just told, she's a sinful woman. In the Gospel of John, we're told that she's Mary. She's the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And there's this kind of underlying tone I want to make sure we pick up. There's actually a couple of them. Uh, The first one is this When I'm genuinely thankful. My thanks is going to be born from listening and caring. So when Luke tells this story, uh, it's not the only story he tells about Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He also tells of a time when Jesus stops by, it seems unexpectedly, with his followers. And and so they come into the house, and because they're unexpected, Martha is very concerned about doing what's appropriate for guests. And so she's running around the house trying to make them feel welcome and doing what you're supposed to be doing. Her sister Mary, however, is not. She's sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to him teach. And this is the story where Martha, if you're familiar with it, she gets upset and says to Jesus, "Tell that lazy lump to get up and help me out," uh, which is not an exact wording from the Greek, but I can tell you it's definitely how she was feeling at that moment. And I tell you that because while Martha is working diligently to make these preparations for these unexpected guests, Mary was listening. She's listening to what Jesus has to say. And when John tells the story in his gospel, it actually happens a chapter after Jesus raises her brother Lazarus from the dead. So if you're unfamiliar with that story, that's something else that happens in their life. And it seems that Mary understood incredibly well what she wanted to say to Jesus for her own life and what he'd been doing there and for her brother being raised literally from the dead And she heard Jesus say multiple times that he was heading to the cross. She she listened well. She heard Jesus preparing his followers over and over again for what was going to happen. He was going to be betrayed. He was going to be handed over to the leaders for death and the things that that would happen next. So just a bit of history, by the way, on this. Anointing was traditionally done to kings by prophets, which was problematic on two counts here. First of all, Jesus was not a political king, at least not in the traditional sense. Calling Jesus a king, anointing him as king, was not only countercultural, ultimately, uh, it could get him killed. It, it did get him killed. Uh, one king does not tolerate the presence of another king without conflict. But the second is that Mary wasn't a prophet, at least not a traditional one. There are women in Scripture who are prophets, but it wasn't Mary, and the only other people who would anoint a king would be a priest, and she was definitely not considered a priest by those in her community, but she pours her oil, her treasure, over Jesus and anoints Him, and is fairly intimate in how she does it. She undoes her hair, which women did not do in that culture, and she touches His feet, which also just didn't happen. In the traditional anointings of kings, they receive oil on their heads. In the Old Testament, you might read about the oil dripping down from the beard, right? Or from a robe. Nowhere except Jesus is a king anointed on his feet. So clearly we have a different kind of king that we're talking about here than what people would think of. This is one who serves and disciples and cares and loves. And, but what I want to make sure you catch is Mary is doing this because she has experienced Jesus As God in her life. There's one more undertone I want to make sure you get in this story. Sometimes my thanks needs to be extravagant. So, within this story of Mary anointing Jesus, we hear uh, the calls that she is extravagant. As a matter of fact, Judas, who is one of the 12 disciples who oversaw the treasury, said, Why this waste of money? We could have sold this and given the money to the poor, but we are also told he wasn't really interested in giving money to the poor. He only said that because he used to skim off the top of the money that the disciples had. She has not rightly considered how money could be made and used for the poor from selling her perfume. It also seems in contradiction to financial responsibility and serving the poor. So think about that. There are people in need in the community. We could have used that money. Maybe we still think that way today. Uh, but if we do, we've missed the heart of Mary in this situation. She never considers: should I offer this to Jesus? It never crosses her mind to think, is this just too much to give to him? She pours everything that she has and says to Jesus, I give all I have to you. She offers her whole self to be used for the gospel. And then it starts to happen. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is. She's a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something that's interesting. Jesus answers him without Simon saying anything. I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Which of them do you think will love him more? I don't know about you, but when someone asks a question, I want to make sure I got the right answer. Yeah, I mean, you're afraid to answer until you got the right one? And I'm assuming that's kind of where Simon is in this story. Jesus has just asked this question. He wants to be right. And so I don't know how long it took him to answer, but he says, Well, I, uh, it seems the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Jesus said, You hit it on the head, right on the nose. You have judged correctly. And then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see her? Ever since I came into your house, have you watched her? You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I've entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't even put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. So I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little... And he's not suggesting, by the way, that Simon has only been forgiven a little. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? And Jesus said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, there are a couple of reminders in this story when it comes to saying thanks. And this first one is going to be very difficult But I need to learn to be grateful in times of anxiety and frustration. But I don't know if you can imagine a more anxious place to be when you're someone who is known as a sinful person than to be in the house of a religious leader who loves to look down his nose at sinful people. And we know from another gospel I mentioned earlier that Jews complained that she was wasting the money, should have sold the perfume. So she's, listen, she's caught in the crosshairs between the owner of the house and the followers of this rabbi. Anxiety teaches us that what we once took for granted is this wonderful gift. Authentic gratitude comes in the midst of pain and and suffering, or it doesn't come at all. For instance, you have found a lump and you think it's cancer. You go to the doctor. You take the tests, and you find out in a couple of days that everything's okay. And you are filled with gratitude because you've been given a clean bill of health listen, have you never had that anxiety? (laughs) Would you feel as thankful as you did? If you didn't know how hard that was to go through the waiting period, would would you have felt as thankful as you did? Paul would write to the church in Thessalonica, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And that's a hard verse, because there are a lot of circumstances I'm not thankful for, so please don't hear what he's not saying. Paul's not saying be thankful for all circumstances. He's saying be thankful in all circumstances. And we all know people, and we've been there ourselves, in illness and pain and disappointment, and rather than stepping back and saying, God, what, what is it you're trying to teach me in this moment? Rather than praying through those situations, we bury ourselves to remove the situation and we bury ourselves in work or in alcohol or we walk away from relationships or we walk away from the church or we throw a pity party for ourselves because it's not easy to live out our faith in tough times and be thankful in a difficult time circumstance. I just wanted to remind you what Mary's living in this story right now. David Rast said, the root of joy is gratefulness. It's not joy that makes us grateful. It's gratitude that makes us joyful. But it's tough. And this one may be as obvious because of this story, but my thankfulness sometimes needs to be a response of my gratitude. Henry Ward Beecher would say this, a proud man is seldom a grateful man for he never thinks he gets as much as he deserves. Those who appreciate grace the most are the ones who understand that they deserve it the least. It's King David after being confronted with his adulterous affair with Bathsheba. It's the demon-possessed man who is whole and restored, bowing in awe before Jesus. It's Peter the apostle who denied knowing Jesus three times, night he was to be crucified. It's the thief on the cross who knows he's getting what he deserves, and that Jesus is his only hope. It's the apostle Paul who called himself the chief of sinners for being a persecutor of Christians and an enemy of the church. It's Mary weeping at the feet of Jesus. And it should be you and me thanking Jesus for taking away from us what we could not get rid of on our own. Mary's life and actions followed far beyond her words. Thank you is her prayer, and in the sincerity of her prayer, her actions mirror her words. Her thank you was not just one of obligation, but it was done with with deep thought, and it came from the deepest part of her soul, and didn't even need words. She never said the words. Her actions spoke her words. G.K. Chesterton said this, "One one of the worst moments for an atheist is when he's really grateful and there's nobody to thank. Can you imagine? But there is something worse. It's knowing God, believing God, claiming that you follow His Son, and never saying thank you to Him. Here's the thing with this story. You're in it. We're all in this story. We're in here somewhere. Maybe this morning you've come, here trying to figure out Jesus, and man, is he even real, and what's this guy all about, and the things I've heard about him, I just don't know. You're one of the observers in the courtyard, and you've just come trying to figure him out. I just want to say thank you for being here. Uh, and, and what you're wondering is, can, can, this, can this guy, is it, is it even possible that this is true, what they say about him? I hope you'll keep listening and following. Some of us here, honestly. Or Simon the Pharisee, because you've forgotten how much you have been forgiven. Not that you haven't been forgiven. And is it not easy when you go to church every week to sometimes just forget? I mean, we become pretty good, but we forget that good doesn't cut it. We struggle with sin. Hopefully most of us are like Mary who recognize how grateful she was to Jesus for what he had done and continued to do in her life. Jack Hinton was a pastor from North Carolina, and he years ago went on a mission trip to one of the farthest islands south in the Caribbean, and he was preaching at a leper colony. And the people there were all contaminated by leprosy. They all had it in various stages and degrees. And as the service wound to a close, he asked If anyone had a hymn that they would like the church to sing together. And one of the women there uh, caught his attention. And until that moment, he really hadn't even seen her because of the crowd. He just couldn't see her. But he would later describe her this way. He said, it was the most hideous face I'd ever seen. The leprosy had taken her nose and her ears. They were entirely gone. The disease had destroyed her lips. She had raised a stump of a hand into the air, and she asked, can we sing count your many blessings? Some of us are familiar with this hymn. The words to it are, when upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Are you ever burdened with a load of care? Does the cross seem heavy that you're called to bear? Count your many blessings, every doubt will fly, and you will be singing as the days go by. He was so overcome by emotion that he slipped out of the service while the last verse was being sung. And one of his team members came out and said, Jack, I guess you're never gonna be able to sing that song again. And he said, oh, I'll sing it again. I'll just never sing it the same way. Moses would say to the Israelites coming out of Egypt, be careful, watch out. Never forget what you've seen God doing for you. May his miracles have a deep and permanent effect upon your lives. Tell your children and your grandchildren about the glorious miracles that he did. And here is where we have a chance to live that out, to live out the example that Mary gave us, to live out what Moses told the Israelites. We're going to remember in just a moment during our time of communion the depth of what all of us in this room, whether you've accepted it or admitted it, what all of us have in common to be grateful for. All of us recognize that like Mary, we have been sinful people. And we still struggle with sin. At a minimum, it's what Jesus said to Mary, being said to us, your sins are forgiven. And if that doesn't cause you to say thank you, I don't know what will. I've paid the price for your sins. It's an understatement to say that part of our prayer during a time of communion should include the words, thank you. But most likely, there's more. And so this morning, I'd like it to be a little bit different. So what is there in your life that you find yourself filled with deep gratitude for today? Maybe it's something that's happened to you, and you just, man, you're just so thankful. Something that's happened to somebody, you've been praying for somebody else, and you've seen that prayer answered, and you're just so thankful for that. Where do you need to give thanks and pray that your actions and your life will follow in extravagance, just like Mary? Not a rhetorical question, by the way. I want you to think about what that is, because here's what I want you to do with it. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to give you a moment. It'll be quiet for you to speak to God, and I'm hoping that part of your prayer, your communication with Him, is a word or a phrase that reflects your thankfulness. But also this other thing or things that you're thankful for, let that guide your prayer time as well. And And then we'll take communion together. I'll lead us through that, and our team is going to be back out. We're going to sing a couple of songs. And during that time, as we sing, I'm going to ask you to get up and move. Actually, I'll have you stand here in a moment to one of the prayer boards, there are four of them in the room, and whatever that word or phrase is that you're thankful for today, would you just put that on the board? And no one else may know what you're talking about. I'm certain nobody knows what I'm referring to, what I wrote on the board, because it's not known yet. But would you take a moment to put that on the prayer wall, and it can happen while we're singing, while we're standing and singing, Take that time to go and do that. Okay, so I'm going to pray. We'll do communion together. God, thank you for this moment. That, that, that you already know, because my fear is it happens in too many places, including this one, that we get so used to being together like this and singing songs and listening to what your word has to say and, and taking communion together. Mm-hmm that we just forget the, the pain, Jesus, that you endured on our behalf on the cross to take our sins away, that you are our only hope. There is no hope but you. And we just want to say thanks. But you, you do so much more. If that was all you did, it would be enough. But you don't stop there. You continue to work in our lives. You hear our prayers. You respond in what you know is the best way, even if we don't always understand it at the time. And so, God, we just want to take a moment now and say thank you for what all of us share in common, the sin struggle, the debt, that you paid but also just what you are doing these other things you're doing in our lives or in the lives of our friends and so father we stop for just a moment now So the bread that reminds us of the body of Jesus that was given for us on the cross for all of us, not select individuals, not those whose lives seem more put together than others, not those who seem less sinful than others, but that all of us would recognize our great need for what Jesus did for us on the cross, and so we remember. The juice reminds us of his blood spilled for us on the cross that still today washes over us because we are sinners in need of a savior. We still struggle. Jesus says, I love you so much. I not only forgive what you have done, I forgive what you're doing and will do so we remember. Father, thank you for this type of moment. We're grateful for somebody like Mary who would help us remember that sometimes gratitude is spoken, and at other times it's just not enough to say it. We have to do something. Help us to live lives that reflect the forgiveness that we have received. Received. God, thank you, and we pray this, Jesus, in your name. So I'm going to ask if you would stand now, and if you're joining us online, what we're about to put on the prayer boards here, would you put in the comments just a word, a phrase? Nobody else may understand what it is you've written. That's okay, too. But would you comment what your gratitude, what you're grateful for? And so in this room, as we sing, I'm going to ask if you would, just to move back to those boards and put what you're grateful for.